0: if they don't have hope that your solution will work, they're going to give them. That. What's the amount you're allowed to spend
1: without asking your wife's permission? Expose the pain, show them my promise, and give them a, a process to make it happen. I mean, number one is like, like natural ability. Number two is probably going to be training, and number three is probably going to be... Welcome to another episode of the Physically Jack Financial Stack Podcast, today we have got our head coach, Coach Corby. Today we're going to go through, I'd say, probably the biggest problem people have when growing their online businesses, When and that's when someone says to them, I need to think about it. Yeah, that's, that's a very tricky one. Um, I need to think about it
0: usually means a couple things. One, they're broke relative to the price of your product, or they don't have enough money, or they don't believe in your process. So because they don't have belief, they need to think about it. The third reason is what? They want to go research and find what you have cheaper. So those are the three options of I need to think about it. So when you're in sales, you have to determine which one is, the thing that's holding
1: them back from moving forward with your process. And from that, you can make a good decision. So one of the things I try to do without being confrontational and like raising sales pressure, rather than going like, what do you think about it very aggressively? Is as I go through the call, I'll try and knock off things that could be objections. So like spouse, time-related, finances, and then Self belief, I think, are the big four. I don't mm-hmm. think there's anything else other than that you can think of. Those are all good. The way I sell, similar, I use those kind of like
0: subconsciously, but these are the questions they need to answer in their mind. Is it easy? And when I say easy, it means something they can do. So if in your program you got to do deadlifts with backflips, that's you got a very small number of people who can do that, right? You so included, though, right? Me, me included. I can't do it. I mean, you can, not, not, not without killing myself, right? So then the second thing is, right, is it easy? And then you go, is it simple? That's the second part that most people overlook. Is it simple means is it not complicated and too many moving parts? I remember one time a guy sent me a workout program, and the very first week after I told him I was a beginning lifter, I know about calisthenics but not lifting, eight sets of six on the bench press was the very first exercise. How long do you think I stayed with that program? Not long. That was just too complicated. And then the third question is Then you need to answer for them during your call is, will it work? Because until they feel like it will work, they're not going to do it. So that comes down to a belief issue. So is it easy? Is it simple? Will it work? So built into those questions are those answers also. So once I feel like they believe it, it I can do this, great, I can make it work, and it's not too hard. Once they get to that level, then it's easy to close them.
1: Is there any... Red flags are things people should avoid when in the sales call that can maybe put people off thinking it's more work than they want to do. Yes, um, when you give too much detail. So i give you an example. Pretend
0: you're going on a date. Everybody knows about dating. Imagine this. I'm going to pick you up at 8 o'clock. I said this to a woman. I'm going to pick you up at 8, but you've got to be ready at 8 because we need to be at the restaurant at 8.30. When we get there, they will already have our drinks on the table because we need to order by 8.45. At 8.45, we're going to get dinner. They're going to start cleaning up for dessert by 9.45. By 9.45, we got to be out of there by 10 because we got a yacht party to be at. When we get on the boat, we got to make it by 10.15 because we got to leave. Then when we leave, we're going to go see the fireworks at midnight. But if we don't get to the boat, we won't be able to see the fireworks. Then after the fireworks, we're going to get back on the boat, and then we're going to come back, and then we're going to go to a club after all of that. Yeah, I'm good. I, I don't want to go on that date. But if you say, hey, just wear something really nice, bring your extra player flats, it's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be easy to get a date. So when people describe their program, they do it like the first scenario. They give you way too much detail. So then it feels like, this is gonna be hard. So when you give the highlights and basically the outcomes you're gonna help them get, then they'll do your program because they already know it's gonna be work. But I don't wanna say it's four days a week, it's gonna be 20 sets, it's gonna be 45 minutes. You're gonna need to eat six meals a day. You're gonna need to do 1,800 calories. You're gonna, oh, no, no, I'm good. It's too much. But if you say, hey, we're gonna work out several times a week, depending on which program you wanna do. We're gonna create a system where you can eat what you want and make it work within your framework to lose weight. And the third thing we're gonna do is, we're gonna incorporate it and over time, turn it into a lifestyle so you can have the best results. Okay, great, how much? That's what they wanna know at that point. Because it's not too much detail. They know they're going to be doing bench presses and deadlifts and squats. And they already know that because they, they, I always say, I'm not the first guy they heard of, right? So because of that, I try to structure things in a way where it's going to make sense to the person I want to sell. So if I got, let's say you on the phone and you're an advanced lifter, now that's when I go into, okay, our approach is we, we use a reverse pyramid strategy. So as we go, blah, 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 I don't even know what that means, but I heard somebody say it the other day. So when, when they talk about reverse pyramids, you know, five-by-fives and this and that, we focus on the five compound lists. For you, that's great, that, that you know, because you work out. But for me or my sisters or brothers or my mother, like, mm, we're not buying it because I don't know what kind of pyramid he's talking about. What, what does he mean? So they're confused. So you have to make it simple so people want to do it.
1: Why do you think people overcomplicate it? Sometimes I think it's almost um – think that that shows them as a position of authority, whereas if anything, it just shoots them in the football or anything else? This one's tricky for me, but I'll answer it.
0: Most people want to sound smart. And I think it's the very worst characteristic you can have to be a great salesperson. Because if you sound smart, that's gonna keep you from being successful. Because you're gonna alienate so many people. That's what I think.
1: I think that's why the why I say to a lot of people you need to be like a chameleon, like
0: you, yeah. you match
1: the person who comes across in the call, right? So like you can talk more eloquently or you can talk more like Yeah, low average level. Joe put it, mm-hmm. like so you you can match and mirror that person in terms of language and body language and then it's probably easier for you to build rapport. Rather than if you're talking from here at high point down someone, that's a form of friction that's gonna come across in the call. The best, way to,
0: the best way to describe this is, have you ever talked to a person who's real spiritual or metaphysical? And like five minutes into the conversation you're going, I know they said something to me, but what did they say? I know it's profound, but what did they say? Because the words they use and how long the sentences are and how complicated, most regular people don't have an inclination or care enough to try to decipher what you're saying. So, If they said something like, how do you explain beliefs? You Ask a metaphysical person that, it's gonna take them five minutes. So I say, what is a belief? Okay. So I say, what would I say to my nephew who's 12? Well, a belief is a fixed way of thinking. So when something happens, you're gonna think that same way every time. And based on the pattern of it happening in your life over and over, you develop a certain set of thinking skills that cause you to have what's called a belief. Okay, uncle, that makes sense or I can go into some heavy duty. He was like, okay, it, they're not gonna know. So I try to match the conversation to the person. So if it's you, it's gonna be more detail if I'm talking about fitness. But if I'm talking to you about rock climbing, I'm just gonna be like, bring some gloves. We got ropes, we're gonna have fun. But if I'm talking to Marcus, I gotta tell him more what kind of mountain it is cause he got dozens of gloves, he got dozens of bikes. So I gotta tell him more stuff. So when you're selling, I think it's critical to match the level of information to the person you're talking to. And if you do that, you're going to be fine. I tend to try to go one step below. So if they have college education, so to speak, I speak at a high school level. If they have high school level understanding, I speak at an elementary. If they have PhD level understanding, I still speak at college level. Because I feel sales is the very worst place to get your ego satisfied. I'd rather have my checks in the bank and say, hey, I, I handled every objection blah, 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 with no money. Like, that's no good. You know, ego don't pay bills. Closed contracts
1: do. I think one of the things you said about ego is not paying bills. I think sometimes people uh, have like a superiority complex sometimes, a fitness trainer than a better than the other person. I, agree. I think that sometimes can come across and causes a lot of issues. Yeah, but here's the
0: – if I'm coming to you for fitness, I don't, I don't care if you're my banker. Because most times, I'm not coming to do workouts with my banker. Now, do I want my banker to be skinny? Yeah. But if he's fat and smart, I don't care. Because he's going to manage my money. He's not going to help me run laps. So in your area of expertise, you're the, you're the expert. So I don't care if you dropped out of high school. But if you're in great shape and you have good programming, I don't care about that stuff. I just care that you're an expert where I need you. Am I going to let you tutor my son? No, because he's probably going to fail because that's not your area of expertise. So as a fit pro, you have to be comfortable in that. And I believe you need to keep your education going so that as you move through this
1: field, you stay on top of things. I think one of the reasons people get stuck for content as well, and we spoke about that at the event at the weekend, is like people aren't continuing their education, becoming better coaches. They don't actually have new things to talk about because they're not learning anything new.
0: Yeah, they get stale. I say even if bread is high level, if you leave it on your counter for three weeks, it's going to be all moldy. So your quality can only be maintained to the capacity that you keep adding to it. Because what was quality information 20 years ago is like terrible now. I don't know anybody using the Fedger anymore. You? No. No. like, Because it's much better alternatives now. But 20 years ago, that was all the knowledge we have. So when you look at different things that as we go through the industry, like there was no such thing as a glute bridge when I was a kid. Never. Did women have smaller ulcers by then? Well, they had uh, what God gave them. <laughs> now you can surgically fix that. <laughs> so it, that's what we're dealing with. So as technology changes and better information comes out, when I when I was a kid, I don't know how you did it, we used to just work out and go back out and play, but nobody worried about getting enough water in. I got a carb window and I got to get this much grams of this. Nah, man, we just worked out and went back outside and played. And then three hours later, we ate because my mother's only going to let us eat at seven. She didn't care if I worked out at three. I eat at seven. So there was no, no windows, and. but now we're more educated. I would never talk to you about a feeding window right after you work out. But for you, that's important. For me, it doesn't matter. I just want to have enough energy to run around my kids, my nieces and nephews, throw them up and catch them, and that's it. But if you're trying to compete, now you need that detail.
1: Funny story. When I first went to gym, I think I was like fifteen, sixteen. No information. Worked out for like three hours with a friend, did every machine in the gym, and then went to KFC <laughs> and ate loads of chicken because I thought you had to eat chicken to get bigger, right? And yeah, probably not the right kind of type of chicken, but um, with that, and then transitioning from people handling that objection of like I need to think about it, mm-hmm. what would you start to do to try and really ascertain it what the core problem is? Well, the
0: first thing I, you want to do is after you present your solution, you always ask them for questions. Because it's less stressful.
1: That's the word I'm looking for. It's less stressful. So if I pat- pitch a solution, ask any questions about it, and then go to the price. Yeah, because, okay. it, think about this. Are we doing it right with these years, so that's fine. Well, I go, Charlie,
0: it's 50 grand. Let me tell you about the program. You're thinking immediately, okay, so Fuck. 50 grand. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of money. Huh. Let's start itemizing. All right, everything he says, I need to get a price for that in my brain. Rather than telling you everything, you go, oh, that sounds like a great solution. When I say $50,000, you are still going to be like, wow, but you're not going to be like, that's not worth it because I gave you a different context. So the reason why you answer questions first before you go to pricing is because when you go to pricing, you want them to only be thinking about pricing. So if you do everything right in your sales presentation, the only objection you should ever really get is money because they can either afford it or they can't. You should never get a spouse objection. You should never really get to think about it. And if you get a lot of, I need to think about it, that means your presentation is terrible. So if you do 100 calls, Charlie, and you get, I need to think about it like 20,
1: 25 times, you're doing something wrong. What? So say someone listens. to this is in that position, their presentation sucks. Um, Other than joining the mastermind and working with us so we can fix it, what would be a way that they can think, where's the bottleneck in this
0: what well, a bottleneck comes from they don't believe in you like I said before right they don't think your solution is going to work for them so the three questions it's not easy it's not simple right and it's too hard so they got no, I'm not going to do that so I try to answer everything before because once they start asking objections now they get you on the back foot so I design all my calls and my presentations so that they only have one objection So my objection that I get at this point is only money. I don't get spousal objections or nothing like that. So if you listen to this podcast, here's my personal suggestion. You train one objection until you master it and then train another one. Because once you master that objection, you stop getting that question. So I'm sure nobody goes, hey, Charlie, it looks like your chess program's not working. You're never going to hear that because you have a huge chest. So why would they ask that, right? So but for me, it would say, hey, quit with chess chest program. You, you need a chest program because my chest is not huge naturally, right? So I just try to say, okay, so if I join your program, I see your results. And I'll say, okay, I don't believe I can, my brain's going, I don't believe I can achieve those results. So how that comes out is I need to think about it. So what we try to do is immediately answer the objection rather than being curious. So I would say, hey, okay, Charlie, is it okay if I ask you a question? Sure. And I always take a nice deep breath for myself to calm me down while he's saying sure. And I go, okay, so it's either going to be nutrition that I'm not clear about, it's the workouts, or is it our accountability system? Which one's the most confusing for you so I can help you understand everything so you can make a good decision? So what would you say? Pick one. Uh, Accountability system. Okay. Um, What I learned is if you buy most courses, like P90X or something off TV or most courses online, the course could be great, but without support, you generally are not gonna get the results you want, not long-term, because here's what I learned, Charlie. In a month and a half, you're gonna wanna quit this program. I'm 100% sure of that. So if I don't set up a system that when you get to that point, you don't quit. You need to be able to call me so I can give you the right support to help you fix the program so it works for you. And because I've done this with hundreds and hundreds of people, I realize that most people that come into our program, they come in gun ho but they want to give up around six weeks because the results aren't happening as fast as they want them to. So look at it, our program like a bamboo tree. You might not see a lot of results in those first six weeks but realize under the hood, it's all happening. So between the second and the fourth month, that's when you'll start to see a lot of rapid changes in your body. But you have to stick with the process to get to there. Does that make sense? I'm sure. So we do weekly calls, we have a Facebook group, we have a private chat group, and you can also email us any, any day of the week, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And if we can get your answer within 24 hours, every day, other than the weekend, do you think that level of support would help you get to your next level? Yeah, I think so. Great. So would you like to pay a visa or MasterCard? Bitcoin.
1: <laughs> we saw probably Bitcoin before. <laughs> Bitcoin? How do you even accept Bitcoin? You send them your wallet IP address and they have to send it through. Really? I did that. Note for anyone. I, I'll take anything, <laughs> like blood diamonds, whatever people want, but anything. Any anything. He of payment. said blood diamonds. Whatever. Whatever's got some value to it. Um, in terms of other objections people get stuck with I'd say when I see a lot of guys struggling, we actually talked about this a bit at the event at the weekend mm-hmm. is a spouse objection and for me one of the if you're dealing with a male the, and as I said at the weekend one of the things I like to do is like what's the amount you're allowed to spend without asking your wife's permission to, and it really reframes it in their mind and thinking like fuck I'm having to ask the, my wife if I can spend my own money that I make on myself to make myself better and they're like, they suddenly realize the context of what's going on. And I found that can work quite all the time. Do you have anything that you would suggest might be more optimal or a different approach?
0: Well, the interesting part about sales, it depends on what type of person you're selling. So I have a dozen or more different ways to answer that, but it all comes based on how to call it. So that's one real good way, especially if a guy's a six figure guy, somebody who's successful. successful. And he feels like he really has good control over his life. That's a good way to work around that and get past that, right? So I always start all my objection answering with this one. Is it okay if I ask a question? And when I first started selling, what I learned by saying, is it okay to ask a question? What I'm really doing is buying myself time to formulate an answer. Rather than sitting there like a guy in the debate from politics, right? Who, <laughs> Oh yeah, that's the script. And then they go into their script. I say, is it okay if I ask you a question while I'm trying to calm my nerves and say, okay, how am I going to approach this? And we say, sure, great. And I always start with a, a general question. So if your spouse says no, what do you do?
1: I... Be personally or most people? Well, um,
0: well, let's, uh, well let's make it you. Okay. If it's Hold on, the- let me let you get married first. Now you're married. I Go am ahead. married, I'm divorced.
1: Well, remarried, okay. Um, I... If it means me, I would do it anyway, because I'd rather beg for forgiveness and ask for permission.
0: You know what? That works really well for, for women. Men, it doesn't work very <laughs> yeah. well. Because here's the thing. If your wife comes home with a Chanel bag for three grand,
1: what are you going to say? You're going to moan, but you're going to end up paying the Amex bill anyway.
0: Yeah, so you're going to be like, take it back. Then she bats her eyes, does some weird stuff, and boom, she keeps it you show up what's the weird stuff she does I don't know whatever the system she's worked out on you right so (laughs) she might cook she might you know distract you and then you know you forget and she keeps the purse right but you show up with a tonal for three grand and she says Charlie take it back what's gonna happen
1: it's gonna go back it's gonna go back because you can't be asked for the aggravation yeah
0: yeah so she's gonna make you take that back so what happens is with women they can get away with more than men can because when a woman says most time that's stupid, you don't need that. Because the last two times you tried to lose weight, Charlie, you didn't do anything. We bought a membership to that Soul Cycle thing. You didn't do anything. We bought, and they'll let you know about every mistake. In the 1988, remember when you did them? Wow, that's so long. I didn't even know you did. So women can get away with a lot of that stuff more than men. So what I do, I make conversations with women around this thing softer. So what happens if your husband say no? What will you do?
1: If a woman, if that woman does it. Yeah. Uh, the woman's more likely to do it anyway, I think. Yeah. So so if I'm talking
0: to you, that same male question, listen closely to the little changing words I do. You're not going to let your wife stop you from being in the best shape of your life, are you? <laughs> because I know what kind of person you are from the previous part of the conversation. Whereas if I'm talking to, let's say, Aiden, I might say... Hey Aiden, it's important for you to be in shape because you want to start a family. You need that energy to run with your kids. So if you're what are you gonna do if your wife says no? So now I appeal to his logic because that's the type of person he is, right? So I hit him with, you need the energy and blah blah blah. He said, yeah, I do need all that. I can't keep up my kids. So what are you gonna do if your wife says no? See my different type of voice I have. So what are you gonna do if your wife says no? So a lot of times it's the tone of your voice and how you say it, the speed. All of that stuff makes a difference, because if I say to you the same thing, I say, "Hey, Cash, your question, Charlie? You? you go sure? I go, you're not gonna let your wife stop you from being in the best shape of your life, are you?" So I'm being dismissive with that tone. Mm-hmm. Whereas, let's say you're a real estate agent, I'm just kidding, or like an accountant, and they have a different, you know, very passive, be per- very passive. So I go, "Will your wife stop you from being in the best shape of your life?" You're going to let that happen, or do you have any say in, in your health? See, that's logical. So that's the way they think. So they're going to be like, hmm. Well, Sarah doesn't let me really spend more than 500 bucks. Okay, if Sarah won't let you spend more than 500 bucks, I can talk to my COO, but if we could work out something where it's like 480 a month, would you be willing to get started now? Yeah, sure. Hold on. Let me call on right now. Bam put them on a fake hold, go to the loo, come back, talk to, the, talk to who I needed to talk to, we can make that work. So we you be using Visa, MasterCard, American Express, or Discover, unless we discover you have no money. So which one's best for you? They usually laugh, I get their credit card, and I'm out of there. So here's another trick when you run into that. Rather than saying Visa or MasterCard, and this is one of the little tricks I used to use back in the day. Always create something to send your clients. Even if it's a mug, something really, really small. Hey, we got a welcome kit we need to send out to you. I didn't ask for the credit card yet. So where would you like us to ship it to? 123 Main Street, I don't know, Toronto, Ontario, yeah, X5J, whatever that crazy postal code thing is I use, right? So they go, okay, great. Um, okay, so just make sure this is the correct address, right? Great, We'll get that out to you tomorrow. And um, on the back of your credit card, there's, a lat, there's the last three. We need the last three. Do you have those? So most people don't know those last three. So what are they gonna have to do, Charlie? Get the card out. Bam, so if they get the card out, now they give me the last three. I say, oh, and by the way, what's the what's the card number? What's so you it? almost ask it back to front. Yes, because it's reducing their resistance because I'm getting micro-commitments. Can you give me your address? Yes. You're not gonna let your, you, you, <laughs> Can you take control of your health? Yes. So when they ask me the address, they're giving me, and they have to continue. So I don't like using thermodynamics equations because salespeople like to throw those things around. But until you interrupt something, it's going to keep going down that path. I'll say it in English rather than some fancy science stuff. So we're going to keep going down that path. And by the time he figures out, I've had people pay for stuff from me. For 10 dollars dollars $20,000. Pay me. And they go, oh wait, did I just pay? I'm like, yeah, we're getting started Monday. So after they pay, then you go into our post-sale script that we talked about this weekend. And if they go into that post-sale script, most people won't even know they paid till they hung up, hung up the phone. Wait a minute, I just paid. So people, I know people listening to this are going to ask me a magic question. Here it is. Don't you get some returns? Yes. But if I get 20 extra sales and two of them get returned, that's 18 sales. I would have missed trying it the other way. So I always say, if you sell more, you're going to get a return every now and then, but you're making more money, you know? So that's the way I look at it. When I'm trying to work through objections, I'm always trying to say, okay, what's the real objection? Do you really need to ask you? Cause if let's say Tony Blair, he's retired. So You find out Tony Blair selling his uh, whatever car y'all drive over there. Probably like a Rolls Royce, those presidents, right? So some type of Rolls Royce for the prime minister. He calls you up for some reason. Hey, CJ, I'm getting rid of my presidential whatever it is, bulletproof, the whole deal. I heard you're a good guy. give it to you for 30 grand. Would you buy it? I'm saying. Why? Because you know the value of what you're getting in excess of what you're paying for it. Yep. And do you know anybody who was crazy about Tony Blair? Like, Super supporters, they call them. Probably some weird people, yeah. Yeah. You think they pay three or four million for that? Probably, yeah. That's why you'll buy it. So it, you notice you didn't say, let me check my bank account. Because even if you had to borrow money, whatever you need to do, you're going to get that vehicle because of what? The value. You know it's for the value. So when you, you position your product in a way where it's valuable, people will do what it takes to get it. So that's why I spend a lot of time increasing the perceived value of whatever I sell. Because at the end of the day, we sell workouts, we sell targeted nutrition, and we sell accountability systems. That's what we actually sell. But how does that look in real life? You're changing somebody's life. So that all gets packaged up as life change. So when you're changing somebody's life, that's gonna help you create the
1: freedom to do everything you need to do. I think one of the big issues as well is people don't often, actually offer people the full solution. So like, say for example, I said this at the weekend, So, someone might need to drop 50 pounds but trying to sell a 12 week program. It's like the client knows they're not doing it 12 weeks. So like it's not the real solution they actually want. And inherently like they know that deep down this isn't the real fix they need. And if you could help somebody lose 50 pounds in three months, is that healthy? No. And
0: now, do you think they would even believe
1: that?
0: No, no one in their
1: sane right mind
0: is gonna believe that's a good idea. So this creates resistance. Hmm. So when you because offer, they think you're bullshitting them and selling them, right? Yeah, they just want to make a sale. So this is another thing you got to check when you offer a solution. Does it sound realistic? So if somebody does everything you say, can they lose thirty pounds? A lot of times, yes, if they have enough fat, right? But who's going to do every single thing you tell them to do? It's very rare. So I make solutions that are based on if a person does eighty percent of what I ask them to do, they're going to get great results. If they do 60%, they'll get some results. If they do that, they won't get any results. But people design their programs on a knife edge. So you got to do everything right to get the result. And that's the thing that hurts people because now I have to do everything right to lose 35 pounds. But here's the other part. If you told me you're the greatest deadlifter in the world and we went to the gym and you deadlift 1,000 pounds, would I be impressed? Mildly. But you say, hey, I'm a pretty good lifter," You know. And then you do the same thousand pounds. You think I'm impressed? Yes. So people design their programs that are, the promise is so outrageous. Even if everything does happen, they go, well, that's what I paid for. You don't leave room for people to be wild. wild yeah. So you get lots of refunds, no renewals, because I didn't lose 30 pounds. You said I lose 30 if I do everything you say. It's metabolisms, all kinds of stuff involved. And... This is the most important thing for me. And this will help everybody listen to this answer more objections. Know your stuff. You know, even if you use macro-based approach, if something ain't working, what do you really adjust? It's not always calories. It could be you need to adjust more fat, less fat. If it's hormonal issues, you got to do this, you got to do that. So when you're creating a situation with all these different things, that's going to help you get people to want to listen to you. Because now you can walk them through and talk them through those objections because you have the knowledge and the security and and the faith in what you know to answer those questions. So that's why I don't get lack of belief. That's why I don't get spousal objections. That's why I don't get those that much. Usually they say, well, I was hoping the payments would be a little less. Okay, great, what were you thinking about paying? And notice my tone right here. Great, what were you thinking about paying? And I purposely whisper the first two words. What were you? So they kind of say, oh, this is what I was thinking. So it's going to force them because that's a reverse tie-down. What were you thinking about paying? Oh, I was thinking about, you know, maybe I can't do 4000 for six months. I mean, could you do like 700 a month? Sure. We set that up 700 Give me two seconds. Here's a coupon that expires in 24 hours. You can get it for $700 and boom. So a little secret you can do is take your main price and then create discount codes to put it into the price tier structure you want. So you go, hey, look, if you can only do this, my accountant says once a month, I can give out this discount, here's the discount code, just don't be passing it around. You give them a the discount code, they use it, and you're good. And if you have anything that uses discount code,
1: you can always make a one-time discount code. With um, the sales process, I think a lot of people actually make a mistake when they're trying to pitch the price that they often pitch way too low or too short of programs. Cause like, mm-hmm. the way I always think is like, you can start high and you can come down right if you go in low and like yeah that's fine i'm in like if you start low where you gonna go you can't go you, yeah that's right? what i always buck. say so it's like you might as well shoot high and then you can work your way down if you need to and be flexible with it even if it's breaking up the length of the program or the payments is there any other big mistakes you see people make when it comes to closing when like pitching the price and the offer side of things i think the biggest you're gonna laugh at this but
0: i think the biggest mistake people make is they turn into a different person once they start to close. So if they've been They're calm like, like this, confidence in the yeah. guys, So you like talking, we're talking like this now, and then all of a sudden you're about to close, then imagine you slowing down and talking really clear out of nowhere. See, that doesn't even match you. Like, well, why is he clear all of a sudden? He was talking like James Bond three seconds ago. Now he sounds like he's from Texas. That's no good. So when I sell, the main thing I do is when I get to the point where I'm about to, let's call it pitch, make it easy. I actually slow down slightly. About five percent, ten percent. I don't know if I can gauge it right, but I know that I allow more space between my words because two things are happening. One, they're listening to this pitch very closely. Last time to process. Last right? time to process.
1: But if you start speeding up, that makes them nervous because they feel like they might be missing something. You know what I mean? So, it, even I've noticed I do that a lot when going through like the payment structured things. I'll do like long pauses it's almost like looking up the sky, like I'm thinking of something, like dragging out, so it gives them more time to like. Yeah. Digest and let the cogs turn faster and faster, so they can logically work out that this is a good decision to do, rather than being like, "This is price bang. How do you want to pay?" Which I think is what a lot of people do. Is like, it's twelve hundred. It's it's too fast. Like, I know a guy. He teaches people. He says, "Okay,
0: the program's twelve hundred. Let me tell you what you're gonna get for that." And then he goes to this long pitch and say, "Well, what do you think?" I'm like, "I don't even think they remember the price after four minutes. Like, what was the price?" So I always say price lasts. I tell people what they're gonna get, then give them the price. The reason why I do that is because it makes the price less impactful. So if I say, hey Charlie, it's 150 grand. What? It's a new Ferrari. No. And if I say, hey Charlie, look at this Ferrari, and you see it and you go, wow, that's incredible. It's only 150 grand. Same exact car, same scenario, but I gave you time to fall in love with it first. And then i tell you the price. Maybe drive a little bit. Yeah. But people skip the fall in love part and they just trying to like, because I need money. So that's why I teach people schedule your sales calls an hour apart, not 30 minutes. Unless you're super efficient at selling because this gives you time to feel like you don't have to rush. Most of my sales calls, I probably shouldn't say this publicly, but most of my sales calls in, in 35 minutes. That's including my postscript. That's including credit cards, wires, whatever I need. 35 minutes. Most times. So I don't. I'm not a. I call it pain. Pain hunter, you know. People hunt for too many pains, so they get five and six problems wrong with a person. They're in critical condition. They're not gonna buy your stuff. So I focus on trying to get like two to four at the most that I can fix. Dial in on people feel like, hey, this is enough. I can make progress. Because if they don't have hope that your solution will work, they're gonna
1: give up. An easy framework thinking about it that I do kind of causes almost like start the call, just try and drop sales resistance, pretend I'm very relaxed, like I don't really know what's going on and like that I don't almost have confidence in helping them. Mm-hmm. And then let them talk for a bit. So then they feel like they're a little bit in control and almost like sharpen up as the call goes on. So then my goal is then to make them problem aware, solution aware, problem aware again, and then go into the pitch. So like yeah. before the pitch comes, like turn up the pain a bit, like and they realise again that they're stuck. They don't know how to do this. Yeah. And I agree. For me one of the I don't know if it's called future setting or future pacing, but it's like saying to them like, okay, uh, call me the end of the year in six months' time. Are you going to be in better shape now if you do this on your own? Like the reality is most people will be like, mm, I'm probably stuck in the same situation. Yeah, And you, you start to get them to think of like, oh, what am I going to look like at Christmas 2023? I'm fucking going to be looking exactly the same, doing the same stuff because I don't know what I'm doing. Exactly. And I think when you start to frame in people's minds, you you create those logical connections that make it easier that this is a no-brainer no decision.
0: Well, it, it helps if you... You go from being Columbo to Matlock. Most people don't even understand that reference. But if you start off like it's not too serious, like you do, and then by the end, you're you sharp. Be, you be get sharper and sharper. If you do it at the right pace, people won't notice. But you can't switch at one point. So in NLP, they call it you let them lead, then you mirror, and then you no, know, you call pace, mirror, lead, right? So now at the end of the call, that's where you start leading more. So during the first, let's call it half of the call, I hate to use like, 60 percent No, it's just the first most of the call i'm just conversating but once i get to the part where i start doing summaries and pitching and showing my model now i'm more smart than i was back then because if you stay curious you make more sales most people forget about that
1: being curious will make you more sales i think one the things i when i listen to a lot of sales calls is the closer talking to people and I, one yeah. thing I say to you all the time is like two ears, one mouth. is just like, say something, sit back, listen, just let them go. Anything else? Well, like, and they keep going. Think about it. You have two eyes too. So you got
0: four inputs, one output. So I try to use them in that ratio. So I, I spend a lot of my time when I'm, especially if I can see them, I spend a lot of time reading their body language. So I'm really dialed in. So that keeps me engaged. Because I want to see if their body language matches what they're saying. And body language is based on not the traditional, if somebody got their arms crossed, they might just cross their arms. But when they change that behavior, they may change to like this, and that might mean for them, that's closed. You could tell by the, you gotta pick the face plus the posture plus the words, then you can read them. But if you're not taking all three into account, you can't read people accurately. So my gift is I can read body language very well. So I use it to my advantage he doesn't sound convinced let me stay a little longer in this phase Mm. he looks like he got enough move on but I'm not there trying to say okay I feel like I'm going to lose my arm I need this it's very rare somebody's going to do that like I've been on and I close for fitness people every now and then just to make sure I understand the industry out of all the calls I did one one time somebody cried once and they bought but that's very rare so I'm not going for that level of pain. I'm, I want to get exposed to pain, show my promise, and give them
1: a, a process to make it happen. What's your thoughts on putting guarantees in the programs? Oh, boy. Um,
0: guarantees are good. But this is what I tell people. If at any point you don't like my coaching, just call me. I won't charge you anymore. Listen closely to what I said, though. I'm going to charge you for everything I gave you already. But I won't charge you anymore. It's to a point where I don't even have contracts. The only contracts I've used in the last 30 years are contracts for corporate America. I've never used contracts for, like, traditional coaching clients. And I say, look, here's here's the setup. And if you don't like it, just call me, and I'll stop charging you. And that's it. They go, really? That's it? Yep. Because I don't ever want to feel like you have to work with me because you got three months left on your agreement. The moment you don't want me to be a coach, let me know and I'll stop charging. Fair? They go, yeah. And then somebody goes, well, what if I start doing something and it don't work the way you said? Well, that, that's tricky because let's say I give you the money back, but you keep the knowledge. So I spent six months giving you all this knowledge. You decide you want all six months back. You keep the knowledge in the money, and I get nothing. So I had to pay my team members. I had to do this. I had to do this. I had to do this. So not only am I giving you a refund, I'm losing money because I can't take care of my team. So that's why I structure all my agreements to be like this. When you don't want my coaching, tell me I'll stop charging you. Is that fair? Yeah. Because think about insurance. They never get your money back. I don't want to use prudential no more. Okay. We'll stop charging you. We're going to you had your protection. We're going to keep the protection. I moved to another person. They're going to start charging me from there every month, just like a gym. Imagine going to LA Fitness, which half of their members don't even show up once a year. Imagine that, Charlie. Say, I want my. I, I didn't come this year. Give my money back. Or give me a free year. Is that going to happen? No. No. So that's why I said
1: it's not fair to me. The last big issue I see people having with tra- uh, trains and trying to sign up clients on consultations lack of confidence and sales confidence Mm -hmm. so for me the big three things that determine whether anyone's good at sales is generally going to probably be number one is like like natural ability number two is probably going to be training and number three is probably going to be reps like is there anything that you think is a quick fix for anyone who's struggling in terms of they lack confidence and maybe assurance like because that comes across really heavily on sales calls. well um most people
0: listening to us are not going to like this. Get better. You got to get better at your craft. Like, here's the funny thing. I've only been around the fitness industry for, for three and a half years, right, as a coach. I know more than most of the people I coach on the phone, which that should not be the case. Like, they're asking me to help them design programs. And I say, well, you, something's went terribly wrong. If you're asking me to help you design a program, that's not good. But that being said, I've read 25 or 30 books on programming because I want to be good at my craft and you and you know my other partner before you know never once you told me to learn anything about fitness you you probably never paid that no mind you never said Corby you gotta learn about fitness you gotta learn about this
1: because that's "That's not your job That's not my job
0: but I learned that because why because most of the time you're gonna yeah because the people I get on the phone with gonna say well what kind of program should I design I don't know is your avatar. Hmm. And, it, and it happens in every industry. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. That people want a
1: shortcut, and I think the shortcut is to get good. In terms of the shortcut of getting good, is there any like regular habits you'd recommend people do? Yeah. I know one of those things is gonna be reading, which is what you are about to say, so any books and recommendations on that?
0: Um, for sales, a really good book is To Sell as Human. I think that's one of the best ones. Uh, the Language of Trust. Uh, those are two that uh, Jeremy Miner recommended to me years ago. Um, the storyteller code the storytelling code is a green book about 100 pages I have always forget who wrote it and um, the no BS sales method from Dan Kennedy Those was a good mindset base and give you an idea of like how to talk to people what words to say how to make it so that people are comfortable and any book by a guy named he's kind of new his name is Jed Blunt J-E-B and then B-L-O-U-N-T, he, his book on objections is fantastic. Um, if you want to just have some more, like, tidbits here and there, anything by Jeffrey Gittimer, especially if you do face-to-face sales, his stuff's really good. He gives you nice little nuggets in, like, 30 words or less. And if you want to have an overall framework for selling, you probably can find it on YouTube for free. I probably shouldn't say that out loud. But um, Brian Tracy's Psychology of Selling. For me, that, that gave me the framework in the beginning when I sold – to sell anything. And I think even to this day, even though it's from like 1988, it's still one of the best sales training products I've ever come across. And I have literally spent more than a hundred grand easily on sales training alone. So those are the books I would recommend. But here's the secret get a few books, find a process you like, and then keep reading that book over and over until you extrapolate all of the secrets from it. See, reading it once, no good. And the reason why I say that is because of Bob Proctor. He said that every single day, he reads a little bit of Thinking We're Rich. He's been doing that since 1961. And I'm thinking that's like 60 years or something crazy. Imagine reading one book over and over for 60 years. You think you'll be able to extract all of that juice from it? And the people keep worrying about adding numbers of books rather than adding more intensity from the books. So then once you find your process, When you read new books you say does this fit into the process that's already successful if not reject it and i read every book say i just need one i just need one good idea so i go into every book looking for one good idea if i get two three or four bonus but every sales book is going to have one nugget or two nuggets that i can use and teach other people
1: in addition to that obviously one of the big things we help people do within the mastermind is sales training so anyone who's on the mastermind who wants to get a better sales the quickest way to make more money is actually turn to more sales training calls yeah. And that, for me, is like one of the quickest wins I see with people, really ramp up their income as they actually learn how to close and how to sell higher ticket prices in terms of uh, length of program and higher price points. And I think, respectfully, being from the UK, I can say this. A lot of British people have a very limited belief in terms mm-hmm. of like what they can charge and what people are actually willing to pay. And people are actually bottlenecking their own business by being afraid to pitch high prices. And I think it actually is a good exercise for some people just to start like, just double your price and see what something says and just yep. just try it if you have the right person so because like we've had some crazy people yeah. uh recently in the mastermind i think like dan kelly sold a linkedin some guy on linkedin for like ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars and we had a lady in the mastermind who had a seventeen thousand dollar sale last week absolutely who, who was really struggling before she started two months ago yeah. and that's a big that's a big change just by learning a few skills she now has for life
0: i hope she don't kill me if you ever hear this podcast i apologize Jamie Morocco came to the mastermind I was with before, charging three hundred dollars like a month for her products, and then one day she said, "Nope, I'm just gonna start charging like fifteen hundred a month, something crazy like that, seven thousand five hundred for six months from three hundred a month." And it worked. No more people said no. Her closing percentage didn't go down, leads didn't go down, and she basically went from like making let's say like eighty grand to like a half million dollars same lead same everything she just changed her prices and her mindset around i believe i can get this amount from this avatar and it's been working like gangbusters sometimes like when i'm reading her story and stuff she closes somebody every now and then for like 25k 30k something crazy for a year coaching for fitness and is she the best fitness coach i have zero clue but here's what i know i know there are fitness coaches out there who are 100 better than her but they
1: don't believe in themselves so they're stuck charging seven fifty for three months. And I think that's a strong note to Furnish So I think probably the biggest thing that people should take home is to believe in themselves to get better results within the business. And I think that's probably the biggest thing bottlenecking them and why being part of a community and getting help to be better is making a big difference to that. So huge thank you for your time today, Corby. Absolutely. Um, anyone who's looking to take the business to the next level, if you hit the link below this video, you can book in a free diagnostic call with myself and the team in terms of how we can help you take the business to the next level to work with myself and Corby. If you found the podcast helpful, smash like button. drop a comment below any questions, and check out some of the other sales training podcasts we have, and we'll see you next episode soon.